0: hello and welcome to meaty medicine's five minute masterclass where we give you the meatiest points about major medical conditions i'm kaven
1: and i'm dwayne what's on the menu today
0: brother (laughs) Caven? Well, tonight, Duane, it is a special menu, uh, more specifically a gluten-free menu, because <laughs> cause tonight's main course is celiac disease, a condition that really gives some people the shits.
1: Oh, it sure does, Kaven. It is a complicated condition, but tonight we will stick just with the meat. So let's dig in. So Caven let's start with the basics. What is it? When does it happen? And why does
0: celiac happen? Yeah, the big questions, Dwayne. So what is it? Uh, Celiac disease, it's a common chronic condition where consumption of gluten causes a maladaptive autoimmune response, which then damages your intestinal mucosa. Uh, So when does it happen? Uh, The peak incidence is actually bimodal. So, And by that, there are two kind of major age groups where it happens. So the first is 8 to 12-month-year-olds, and that is basically because... That's two to three months following their first exposure to gluten, like when they first start eating wheat. And the other age bracket is kind of in the third to fourth decade of life. And in terms of why, that's the question. So it's all down to genetics, unfortunately, the lottery. So genetic predisposition. So it's specifically linked with the HLA, DQ2 and eight gene alleles. Uh, so these alleles are also associated with other autoimmune conditions such as thyroid disease and type 1 diabetes. Don't ask me anything else about <laughs> genetics. That's where we're, You're not Swiftly allowed to ask on. me. <laughs> Swiftly move on. Yeah. All right. Okay, Dwayne, so now I'm chucking you in the kitchen. Tell us about the clinical presentation of celiac disease.
1: Yes, and a fabulous start on gene aliens from you there, brother. So... <laughs> does this patient look like so we want to split it up into two groups of signs and symptoms intestinal and extra intestinal the intestinal ones that we need to know about is this patient will probably be complaining of chronic or recurring diarrhea and if you thought that was bad enough Kevin, not these there are a lot of poo but it's poo with a hell amount of fat in it so steatoria as well they're going to be gassy Kevin. they're going to be gassy a lot of flatulence and obviously, a lot of abdo pain and bloating as well. As you can imagine, these people don't have much of an appetite because it's an absolute war zone. As soon as they eat something, and it's quite <laughs> common to have a fair bit of nausea and vomiting as well. In terms of symptoms that doesn't actually involve the gastrointestinal tract, there's quite a lot of uh, non-specific symptoms. Kevin, so mainly fatigue weight loss, a lot of vitamin deficiencies, and they can be anemic as well. Because you got to remember, they're not absorbing things as they should because their entire intestine is inflamed. They can also have this characteristic rash. It's really itchy and it's blisters that's filled with a watery fluid known as dermatitis hippotiformis. That's my moment in the sun there. And especially (laughs) for young children, Kaven, they do have something called failure to thrive where they just don't develop uh, as and grow as normally expected in terms of examination not much to go off but like i said children will have failure to thrive you might have the rash they might have signs of anemia and their abdomen will be diffusely tender
0: to touch great that sounded very professional so just to make sure i have it good in my head so the way to think i'm thinking about it right now after what you've said is we have the intestinal symptoms and right. kind of like bottom to top so diarrhea moving up a bit you have abdo pain bloating mm-hmm. and then go to mm-hmm. the top you have nausea and vomiting Absolutely. and then you have the stuff outside of the intestines so you said malabsorption yes there's something yes. about a rash which that's i'm it. not going to try to say the name of and that's okay. think kids <laughs> they were <won't. laughs> And if it's in kids, they won't grow
1: normally, essentially. Correct. And that's why you can sort of understand, Kavan, how, how big an effect this may have on someone because of the widespread effects mm. and the signs and symptoms they may have. So it's, it just goes far more than them being picky eaters at the restaurant. <laughs>
0: okay, perfect.
1: Kavan, now that we know what a patient looks like with celiac disease, how do we actually go about, as doctors and as health professionals, as to diagnosing celiac disease?
0: yeah that's a really good question duane so i want you to think about this in terms of two parts so the first part is serology and the second part is biopsy uh the serology is where we start because it's the non-invasive method we don't need to stick a tube down anyone's throat uh so essentially what this involves is looking for a few different antibodies so there are a few ways to do it the way i've learnt is uh the first antibody we look for is IgA tissue transglutaminase antibodies, so TTG IgA. Um, So that's the initial test and it's really good because it's got a high specificity and sensitivity kind of around 96%. Um, So that's really great. But uh, we also need to test for one other Thing, which is their total iga because three percent of celiac patients actually can have iga deficiency oh, so, we, okay. so yeah so you test for their iga ttg and it's low and you're like okay great but it's not because they don't have celiac it's because their body's oh. just not producing iga yeah I so see. it's a bit sneaky so we need to test for both so, obviously, if they're positive for the IGATTG, you're like, great. Well, not great. You're actually, like, this is terrible. <laughs> <It's silly yesterday." laughs> but we know what's going on now. What's going on? <laughs> we know what's going on. Yeah, um, but if the IgA, TTG is low, and but the total IgA is also low, we need to do a little bit more testing. So we look for a third antibody, um, which is kind of independent of the IgA level, which is called the deamidated gliadin peptide. So the DGP, and that's an IgG, not an IgA. Oh. Yeah, Um, so that's a little we're getting away from the meat but basically those are there's those two initial tests you need to do and you might need to perform the third one but that's quite rare yeah um anyway so that's serology and the second part we need to talk about is the biopsy so let's say we've got some red flags thrown up on the serology but now we need to confirm the diagnosis so to do that we need to go to the aforementioned tube So we're gonna do an endoscopy with a small intestinal biopsy. And so we take it and basically get down there, take a sample of the small intestine and have a look at it. Um, And there are all kinds of nasty things, including lymphocytic infiltration, crypt hyperplasia, but the big ones like the villus atrophy, that's the kind of trademark celiac Mm -hmm. uh, sign. Uh, yeah. so yeah, those are the two big things. So serology and biopsy, how does that sound?
1: Oh, that's a lot of meat there. And you know, I know there was a lot of detail as
0: well, but this is what we're going for. It's the nuances on
1: meaty medicine, not just the meat. <laughs> Thank you for wrapping that up. Kevin, you've done better with that than I
0: ever would. So that was brilliant. <laughs> oh, too kind. Um, okay. Well, to throw it back to you to finish off, um, how do we manage it? Let's say I've diagnosed someone, what do we do from them?
1: Yes, no, understandably so. So, this can be a life altering diagnosis, Caven. And the reason why it's life altering is that these patients and these people it could be you or me, could be anyone have to maintain a strict gluten free diet for life. Mm. The pause is to respect the fact that food will never taste the same ever again. There's no (laughs) wheat, there's no rye, there's no barley, there's no spelt. But guess what? even though it doesn't taste good your gut will thank you for it i mentioned before that they may be anemic or they may have some vitamin deficiency so it's quite often and quite normal that they Mm. may need some micronutrient supplementation as well Mm. but the good thing here Kaven, is that our patients can see clinical response and clinical improvement actually in a few weeks with a gluten-free diet and All after right. a few months, if they do choose or the doctor does choose to do a repeat biopsy, you're going to see improvement in that intestinal inflammation actually take a step back. So yeah, it's a bit of a life sentence with a gluten-free diet, but guess what? You, your gut, and especially the people who live with you and have to use the same toilet will thank <laughs> you.
0: Doctor. Well, you've seen what I've been able to do to your toilet in the past, <laughs> right? And I didn't have celiac disease to no, blame for no, it. no, so, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm just a deeply flawed individual in many other ways. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> All right, Dwayne, good session. So what I'm hearing is wheat, barley, and rye is out.
1: It sure are, Caven, and
0: gluten-free diets are in and i just had a thought celiac disease it kind of runs in the family in both (laughs) sense of the word you know what i mean oh goodness
1: oh goodness (laughs) i can see i can see the crowd trying to cancel us so time is up (laughs) kitchen's closed end of service
0: all right this has been another five minute masterclass on celiac disease brought to you by meaty medicine see you next time